posted a lesson here from Colossians chapter number three. Our church uh, has a youth night service every fall, and so we had spent the better part of September and October uh, preparing our teen class for their presentation in that youth night service, and they did a great job. But we're thankful and happy and excited to be back to our study of this third chapter of the book of Colossians, a little bit of review, and then we'll press forward, picking up where we left off. Colossians chapter 3 is a great summary chapter on the Christian life. It's very similar to Ephesians chapter 4 and Romans chapter 12. It's a wonderful chapter to study, to memorize, to be familiar with, but an even better chapter to put in practice in our lives, in the first four verses of the chapter, we have two pieces of instruction. We are to seek those things which are above, verse number one, by setting our affection on things above, in verse number two. But that instruction is precipitated uh, by the first word of the chapter, which is if. It is, uh, it, it is built upon, it is established upon the truths contained in the first two chapters. They, uh, those truths provide a basis uh, for the instruction, the commandment that is given. And the Lord's always careful to do that. He doesn't just tell us what to do, but he makes it very clear why we should. And he gives us plenty of reason and motivation for doing so. Romans chapter 12, uh, to give our bodies a living sacrifice, present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable him. It is reasonable service, and God is a reasonable God, and I'm thankful for that. So those truths that are contained in Colossians 1 and chapter 2 are then summarized in the first four verses of Colossians chapter 3 as providing the basis, the, the reason why we ought to set our affection on things above and seek those things which are above. And those truths stated in these verses, number one, we are risen with Christ. Number two, Christ sits on the right hand of God. Number three, we are dead. Number four, our life is hid with Christ in God. Five, Christ is our life. Six, he shall appear. And seven, we shall appear with him in glory. Then verses five through eight of Colossians three, we have the positive followed by the negative. We are told to mortify our members, to put some things to death in our lives. If we are saved, then the Bible says we're delivered from the eternal penalty of sin, and we will be delivered from the presence of sin when we're with the Lord in heaven. But for now, in the present time, the Holy Spirit gives us power to be delivered from from sin's dominion in our lives. But that is something that we are going to have to actively fight against. We are going to have to mortify our members. We are going to have to crucify the flesh that is already dead because there is another sense in which it is very much alive. Ephesians chapter 2 says, as a lost uh, person, I was dead in sin, but Romans 6 says, now that I'm a saved person, I am dead to sin. All of that is the truth from God's perspective and God's reckoning, but the instruction that we have in Colossians 3 and over and over in the New Testament is that we have to learn to live in that 
reality. So we have a list of outward sins in verse number 5 and a list of inward sins in verse number 8. And verse 7 tells us all of those things are supposed to be things of the past. Verse number 6 says that we ought not continue in those things that caused the wrath of God to be upon us when we are lost. Now, praise the Lord, we are no longer under the wrath of God. God's wrath does not abide on me. I am not appointed unto wrath as a believer. But the reason I did have the wrath of God in my life, the reason I was a child of wrath, Ephesians 2, was because of my disobedience. That disobedience ought not any longer characterize my life now that I'm saved and born again and indwelt by God's Holy Spirit. And I have a Bible and Christian fellowship and all things pertaining to life and godliness. That's the backdrop. That's what we've covered thus far in Colossians chapter 3. And for today, verses 9 and 10. By the way, this is being recorded at a later date. I taught this Sunday school lesson a couple weeks ago, uh, but my voice was so horrible from a, a cold that I'd had for a, about a week and a half uh, that it was it was it was really laughable. The teenagers were trying real hard uh, not to laugh at me, but they weren't succeeding uh, very well. My voice kept cracking, could hardly get it out, so we had to come and, and give this another run. And here we are, verse number nine of Colossians three. The Bible says, "Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man." with his deeds and have put on the new man which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him here here this truth is once again expressed there is a standing that we have as believers in the sight of god but there is a state that we have to deal with on a daily basis the truth of the matter in Colossians chapter 3 is we have put off the old man and we have put on the new man. But when we compare the companion passage in Ephesians chapter 4 verse number 22, we find this instruction that ye put off concerning the former conversation, the old man. In verse 24, and that ye put on the new man. So Colossians 3 says, I've already put it off. Ephesians 4 says, I need to put it off. Colossians 3 says, I've already put it on. Ephesians 4 says, I need to put it on. <laughs> well, so have we put off the old man and put on the new man, or have we not put off the old man and put on the new man? Well, according to the Bible, we've got to be balanced in this. We've got to have a, a full understanding. We've got to compare Scripture with Scripture. We can't just read one passage and disattach it from all the rest. There is a sense in which each of these is true, and we see this in Romans chapter 6, we are dead, that's God's reckoning. But verse 11, likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sins. Now, in the context of Colossians chapter 3, in verses 9 and 10, we have this matter of lying. Lie not one to another. Why? Well, because that's something that's part of the old life and you have a new life now. That's something, another sin that causes the wrath of God to abide on the children of disobedience. And if you're saved, then, 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 then you're a child of God and, and lying ought not have any part in your life, any place in your vocabulary. From Webster's 1828 Dictionary, a lie is a falsehood that is uttered for the purpose of deception. A lie is an intentional violation of truth. A lie is that which deceives and disappoints confidence. 
And we categorize lies. There, in, in, in our thinking, oftentimes, there is such a thing as a little white lie. But the Bible doesn't categorize mistruths, falsehoods, deceptions. And God doesn't grade lies on a curve. There, there are many different forms of lying spoken of in the word of God. There's deception. That, that's, that's when what you say might at face value be true, but the, the, the way that you say it or the reason for which you say it or um, what you leave out of the statement is all for the purpose of deception, for making yourself look better, for presenting the situation in a different light than what it actually is. Understand that you can say things that are technically true and yet be lying. It's deception. One example of that is, well, not an example of that, but more so another form of lying would be exaggeration. And we tend to, to, to look at that differently than we look at lying. But it's the same thing. To inflate, to overstate. It's to say something that's not true. It's to give a different impression than the actual reality. It is, it is to deceive. It's a violation of truth, and the Bible says it's a lie, and the Bible says lie not. Flattery is a form of lying. Flattery is when we say something to somebody's face that we'd never say behind their back. Flattery is when we say ni something nice to someone, uh, not because we're trying to be nice, because we're trying to get something from them. We want them to think of us favorably, so we pretend that we think of them favorably. Flattery. Flattery. Gossip is when you say something behind somebody's back you'd never say to their face. Flattery is when you say something to somebody's face you'd never say it behind their back. Pretending is a form of lying. The word for that is hypocrisy. Let's run some references quickly. What I want to focus on this morning is uh, not forms of lying, but descriptors of lying. What lying is. Jeremiah chapter 9, in verse number 3, we'll run a few references here quickly. Jeremiah chapter 9 and verse number 3. The Bible says, and they bend their tongue like their bows for lies, but they are not valiant for the truth upon the earth. They proceed from evil to evil. They know not me, saith the Lord. What a, what a colorful description of what a lie is. It, is. it is like a bow that is being bent. When you bend the truth, that's a lie. And, and what is that bow used for? It's, it's to inflict harm. It's to fight against it's to hunt and take down prey. And when you bend the truth, it is hurtful. It is harmful. It is destructive. Psalm 78 and verse 36. Psalm 78 and verse 36. The Bible says, Nevertheless, they did flatter him with their mouth, and they lied unto him with their tongues. You see, those two... Uh, being equated with one another. Flattery is lying. 1 John chapter 1 and verse number 6. 1 John 1 and verse 6. 
If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. If our life doesn't match the claims that we make, well, then the claims that we made were lies. If if we come to church and pretend to be spiritual and we go home and we're nothing but carnal, our life is a lie. There's nothing wrong with behaving properly at the house of God. But when we're doing it to try to make people think that we are something that we're not, we're not genuine. It, it, it'd be better to be really spiritual than fake spiritual. And if you're not spiritual, get spiritual. Don't fake it. Try to pretend. Revelation chapter 3, verse number 9, pretending is lying. Hypocrisy is lying. Revelation 3, 9, behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they're Jews and are not, but do lie. They said something but they weren't what they said they were. And that makes what they said a lie. What a, what a horrible life to live for your entire life to be a lie. Lie not one to another, Colossians 3 says. You're a new man. That lying business, that's part of the old man. That's, that's the old life. That's, that's the child of wrath. You're now a child of God. Act different. Speak different. Be honest and upright. Have some integrity. Let me show you from the Bible what lying is. Five points, five adjectives that describe lying. Number one, lying is sinful, and that's obvious but important. What is sin? 1 John 3, 4, it is the transgression of the law. What does God's law say? Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor, including the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20, 16, Deuteronomy 5. Verse number 20, repeat in the New Testament, Romans 13, verses, verse 9. There are so many verses we couldn't uh, take the time to run them all that, that define lying as sinful. Number two, it is unchrist-like. It is unchrist-like. What do we mean? Well, in John 8, 44, Jesus, speaking to some Pharisees, said, You ever your father the devil, and the lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. The devil is the father of lies. But Jesus Christ came and he said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In Titus 1, 2, God cannot lie. In Hebrews 6.18, it is impossible for God to lie. So the devil is a liar. Jesus Christ is the truth. Why would we emulate? Why would we follow? Why would we imitate and pattern our lives after the devil when we are children of God? The goal of the Christian life is to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And he always and ever spoke nothing but the truth. And so to lie is to follow Satan and not follow Christ. It's unchristlike. Number three, lying is serious. Lying is serious. If you want an illustration of this, look no further than Acts chapter 5 and the narrative of Ananias and Sapphira. They sold some property, brought the money, uh, and gave it to the church. What a great thing to do. But they lied about it. They, 
They said, here's all of the proceeds. And it wasn't all the proceeds. It was part of the proceeds. Listen, and they had no obligation to bring any of the proceeds, let alone all of the proceeds. They could have said, we sold the land, and here's part of the money, and that would have been a great blessing. But they wanted to seem like they were more spiritual than they actually were. So they came to church and they say, this is what we sold the land for. But God knew that it was not, and God made an example out of them. Ananias first dropped dead. In church, they carried him out. Sapphira came in later, didn't realize what had taken place, repeated the same lie, and experienced the same judgment. God is serious about lying. Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12 and verse number 36. And there the Bible says, But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. Every idle word. Wouldn't a lie qualify as an idle word? The Bible says every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. How many lies have you told in your life? Well, the Lord knows. And that's coming up on Judgment Day. He he doesn't let that slide. Psalm 5, in verse number 6, Psalm 5, in verse number 6, Thou shalt destroy them that speak leasing. Thou shalt destroy them that speak leasing. Now, we have that word in our modern vernacular. It's a lease, L-E-A-S-E. That is an agreement that is signed between a renter and a rentee. It's just an illustration of the degeneration of our language. Do you know what a, a lease is? Biblically, scripturally, that's a word for a lie. And God's going to destroy those people that speak leasing. Proverbs chapter 6 and verse number 16. Proverbs 6 verse 16 these six things that the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him, a proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. The Lord hates it. It's an abomination. It's utterly detestable. Proverbs 12, verse 17, He that speaketh truth showeth forth righteousness, but a false witness deceit. Verse 18, there is that speaketh like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise is health. Verse 19, the lip of truth should be established forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. 20, deceit is in the heart of them that imagine evil, but the counselors of peace is joy. 22, lying lips are abomination to the Lord. God's serious about this. It's a big deal. It's not a little thing. It's not a small problem. If your life is characterized by lying, that is something you've got to put a stop to immediately. We'll see that in just a moment. Proverbs 19, verse number 5. A false witness shall not be unpunished, and he that speaketh lies shall not escape. God's word's true. Every single one of these, a false witness, verse 9, shall not be unpunished. He that speaketh lies shall perish. It is sinful. It is unchristlike. It is serious, and it's dangerous. It's dangerous. What do we mean by that? Psalm 119 and verse 29. Psalm 119 and verse 29. The Bible says, Remove from me the way of lying. 
the way of lying. Here's the thing about telling a lie. If you tell one lie, you got to tell another lie to cover up the lie that you just told. And then you got to tell another lie to cover up those two lies. And then you got to add a fourth lie on top of the three. It is really easy to get caught in a trap. It is really easy for a lie to be not a one-time event, but a lifestyle, a way of lying. Lying is dangerous because it is addictive. If, if, if you do not allow the Holy Spirit to put this out of your life, you will get caught in a habit where you will lie instinctively. You will lie when the truth would do. A, a lie will come out of your mouth before you even realize what is happening or what is taking place. The, the psalmist prayed, remove from me the way of lying. I have known young people who grew up lying, and that lie became habitual. It became a lifestyle. It, it, it was as if they were not able to speak the truth. Why? Because it, came, it, it just became a way of functioning in their lives. They could not keep up with the lies that they had told. Remove from me the way of lying. It's real dangerous because you'll get caught in a trap real quick. And then number five, this is really interesting. Number five, lying, according to the Bible, is selfish. Lying is selfish. As I studied uh, the scripture in relation to Colossians 3.9, I found two biblical motives for lying. Two reasons why people lie. And I want to show those to you. Isaiah 57, verse number 11. Isaiah 57, in verse 11, the Bible says, And of whom hast thou been afraid or feared that thou hast lied and hast not remembered me? The reason the lie was told was because there was fear. People lie because they are afraid. That makes sense. It's pretty intuitive. We're afraid of getting caught. We're afraid of getting in trouble. We're afraid of looking being looked down upon. We're, in, we're, we're afraid of, of, of censure, and so, and so we lie. Fear. But there's another biblical motivation that's maybe not as intuitive, but absolutely just as true. Lying exhibits hatred. Hatred is a motive for lying. Now, now maybe you maybe not aware of that, but the Bible wants us to be aware of that. Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 18, he that hideth hatred with lying lips, and he that uttereth slander is a fool. What, what is lying? It is, it is hiding hatred. Hatred. You see the connection? Proverbs 26, 22 through 28. Proverbs 26, 22 through 28. Listen, listen to this connection that the, the scripture makes. The words of a talebearer are his wounds. They go down in the innermost parts of the belly. Burning lips and a wicked heart are like a potsherd covered with silver jaws. He that hateth dissembleth with his lips and layeth up deceit within him. Deceit, dissembling, comes from someone that hates. When he speaketh fair, verse 25, believe him not, for there are seven abominations in his heart, whose hatred, verse 26, whose hatred is covered by deceit. Deceit, hatred, connected. 
His wickedness shall be showed before the whole congregation. Whoso diggeth the pit shall fall therein. He that rolled the stone, it will return upon him. A lying tongue hateth those that are afflicted by it, and a flattering mouth worketh ruin. Now we've already seen, lying is hurtful. Lying is harmful. Lying, lying is destructive. The Bible says, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. When you lie, you, you are afflicting those to whom you are not speaking the truth. And the Bible says you hate them. You hate them. Now, we think of hatred in, in one sense. We think of hatred in the sense of the opposite of love. Love I have great affection for. Hatred I have great detestation for. Um, love, I, I want to spend all my time with this person. Hey, I can't stand that person. And that's, that's one form of hatred. But the, the Bible often speaks of hatred as a matter of preference. It's not necessarily detestation. It's just it's taking a lower place. Example, Jacob have I loved. Esau have I hated. Jacob was given a preferential place. Jacob was the son who would inherit the promise. That means Jacob's loved, Esau's hated when you read that verse in context. Um, another example, Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, you've got to hate your father, mother, sister, brother, your own life. So we're, we're commanded to have loving family relationships. I don't have to I don't have to divorce myself from my family to follow Jesus. But what is he saying? You better love me more. I better take priority. If your parents say, don't follow me, then, then your love for me ought to, ought to supersede, ought to override. So, so to hate is to not prefer. In what way does lying demonstrate? Or in what way is lying motivated by Hatred, when you lie to somebody else, what you are saying without saying it is, I prefer myself above you. I'm more interested in, in how I look. I'm more interested in myself. I love myself more than I love you. That's, that's what a lie says. The reason we lie is because we're selfish. We're selfish. Now, this brings us back to the context of Colossians 3. We'll close it out. Colossians chapter 3, verse number 9 says, Lie not one to another. One to another. Listen, we're part of the body of Christ. We're in this thing together. And lying destroys relationships. Lying harms the unity of the body of Christ lying uh, will prevent you from having harmony in your home. Ephesians 4, 25, Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth. Here it is again, with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Lying does not just hurt you. It hurts everybody around you. And when you persist in telling lies, in deceiving, in misrepresenting the truth, because you're afraid and or it's because you're selfish you're selfish lie not one to another seeing you've put off the old man with his deeds god god help us to put this off and to put on the truth as we follow jesus christ lord thank you for your word 
And uh, God, thank you for the instruction that it gives us. Help us to take it to heart, make it part of our lives. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.